0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good
1: stats doesn't mean you're a good team. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by Tim, aka Granger's McBasketball. And Tim, the Lakers returned from their six game road trip, three and three. Maybe uh, didn't win or lose the three we thought we would, but three and three nonetheless. And they came out of it playing okay for a little bit. Felt like it could, should have been four and two, but that Philly game was uh, all kinds of wild. So, uh, how are you doing, Tim? How are you feeling after the Lakers' road trip?
2: I'm not feeling bad. I think the process was was decent. They won a huge game in Milwaukee. That Philly game, they, they should have won, man. Uh, they are just a free throw away there from either 80 or Reeves at the end, but certainly fought hard. Uh, lost a couple games with like 80 out. LeBron sat one of the games. So they, they, I don't know. Like I don't expect to win those. So the record at the end of the day ended up being better than I think it if you, if you told me, hey, LeBron and AD are going to miss, you know, one and a half, or I guess, what, three total games between the two of them, uh, I don't think I would have guessed three and three, but this team was a free throw away from four and two. So, got to like it. Uh, I loved, the from an X's and O's standpoint, in that Milwaukee second half, they were just hammering their sets, and they were absolutely dominant. Uh, really, really liked that. In the Philly game, they started and ended, ended really, really strong. They had two of their best, like, play-calling games of the season, I'd say. Uh, but mixed in between those, they had the Washington game, the Toronto game, where they weren't really using all that much stuff. And, the, you know, they won the Washington game, but the offense – there's there's a little bit of a ceiling when you're not, like, using any plays. And it's just, like, go out-talent them. This team can – they can do it, but they're – you know, if they're going to be able to beat some of these teams that are deeper, have more, like, non-minimum players – They got to they got to get back in their play calling back. So we saw some goods. We saw some bad. I'm I don't know. I think I've been fairly grounded this year so far. I've been, you know, lower highs and higher lows than a lot of others. But uh, I'm liking the process. And we've seen the results over the past like month or so catch up to the process. The offense has been a top five offense over the past month, past couple weeks. The defense has been fringe top 10, which was about what I had been saying at the beginning of the, of the season when the shooting luck was horrendous. And then defensively, we were also benefiting from some shooting luck. Um, I think we're we're finally getting to a point where we kind of know what this team is a little bit more. And it's it's a competitive team, time. It's a fun team. And, I, you know, I think looking at the schedule, the schedule's tough ahead. This is a really tough December. But given what they've done against some of these better teams – I don't go into any of those games saying like, oh, well, we're screwed. We have no chance as long as, as long as there's like reasonable health.
1: It's a competitive team right now. I wouldn't exactly call them fun personally. I think I started the season like a notch or two lower on them than you were. Um, and I'm getting more optimistic, but it's not quite all there for me yet. Um, and I think stuff like you know it's, it comes down to really one ad free throw but that Philly game was there for the taking um and I know Melton going crazy and having a you know one of those role player games against the Lakers didn't help but you know ad getting in foul trouble it, that's a winnable game but we didn't really have a chance to talk about the Milwaukee game either that was you could really see and this is part of why I think this team's kind of frustrating they went all out for that Milwaukee game that was a Rock fight. And points were scored. It was good basketball. But guys diving on the ground, really giving the extra effort on all five positions. Um, And to your point, you know, the offense was great. Getting AD uh, looks where he's set up for success and able to use his physical gifts and uh, his sort of soft touch and on top of being able to, you know, get to the paint and get dunks just like Giannis. Um, And they're making it easier for him. And part of that was, you know, Russell Westbrook. We'll talk about it a little bit later, uh, a little bit more about him. But yeah, they're showing signs. They're competitive, fun. I mean, fun is not like a, a Troy Brown pull up party, which has been <laughs> happening a little too much for my taste. But you know, fun's relative, I suppose.
2: It certainly is. This team's more fun than last year's team. This team now that they're like running good stuff they seem to know what they want to be doing i think they're more fun than they were earlier in the year at points in time i'd say they're a frisky team if i had to describe like how good they are like they're not they're not quite good but they're good enough that they can beat any of those teams on any given day if they're playing well and there's enough upside here with this group that between individual player performances like shot making some of the shot creation they have and the play calling x factor Like this team going all out, calling the good plays and getting like really good games from, you know, LeBron, AD and Russell Westbrook. They're scary. You don't want to have to face them. So that is that is good. That's a sign of progress because we weren't looking that dangerous earlier in the year, even with health. So that to me is is definitely encouraging. I'm glad you brought up Russ. He had a really strong game in that Milwaukee matchup and he's been looking better off the bench it's still not to the point where I'm like, you know what? I'd rather hang on to him. I'd, I'd still be looking at trade options and seeing what you can get. But it's I, I'm fair, I'm firmly away from this team should send him home. Like That, I think, is out of the question at this point. He's bought into the role. He's performing well. There are basketball reasons for it. It's not just like he had a mind shift change, but he did also have that mindset change in his buying in. So on um, both the people and the basketball sides of things. He's set up well to succeed, and we've seen it, you know, a bit more. He's still inefficient in some areas. There's still some stuff that are weaknesses in his game, but for the most part, he's leaning more into what the team needs him to do. And then AD has been dominant, man. He's been so good. He's been so, so good. And in just the most bizarre ways, sort of, like his his offensive archetype this year, roll and cut big. (laughs) If you go look at, like, his play type usage – He's like the most volume, like uh, how do we wear it at people index his role man impact when looking at both the volume and efficiency is number one in the NBA. There's no role man that's in the game like AD is and he's just incredible uh, and it's a lot of roles, a lot fewer pops doing a great job, the scheme, the drawing up good sets to open those roles. And there are little things teams can do to try to take them away, but by doing so, they open up other areas of, of the court for other players. So the Lakers are slowly, I think they've worked through how do we beat each like pick and roll coverage. We've more recently seen teams throw different help types at them within the coverages. So they're kind of getting to that second dimension of, Problem solving, which to me is is fun to watch on a granular level. But eighty's been great. He's been getting you know dump offs and his post up in in like perimeter iso games haven't been something he's needed to lean on up until the past two games of the season against Philly uh, and then against who did we just play uh, Detroit? Shit, who did we play yesterday? Oh, Detroit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Other than that, like outside of those two games, throw those two games out. The previous like ten or so, he's just been like. An uber impactful like high volume physical freak of a basketball player being used almost as like a role player, but as a like very central to the offense and his role gravity opens things up for other guys, so you have to take him away, but even then he's still able to just like jump over you and finish lobs um so he i mean he is a star, but it's been interesting to see the usage type and the offensive archetype that, that they've been able to, you know, get that star out of him.
1: It's a lot more like he, how he was used on the Pelicans too, right? Mm-hmm. Don't get me wrong. It's not like I was pumping Pelicans tape, but back when he was with Drew, you know, AD and, and this is kind of how Giannis kind of built his, they, these guys started scoring these like 25, 30 point games, kind of just cleaning shit up, you know, like putting up lobs, putbacks, you know blocks into rim runs getting easy points finding that easy button for mm-hmm. their offensive game because they're just so much bigger, faster, stronger than the opposition and you know it's great to have a guy like that be able to occasionally, you know, make a pull-up triple threat, you know, mid-ranger with the shot clock running down, but it it really Divulged into that was the primary focus for a long time uh, of this offense. And you're finally starting to see them hit and find those easy buttons, right, to just get Anthony Davis in space with a little advantage. And you know what you can't do? Double him. When you run up an action that creates a slight advantage and then get him the ball, defenses don't have the the, the numbers, right, to catch up to that and not give up something on the other side or, you know, underneath or you Know it's just really great to see. He's you know, when he does post up, he does get doubled, he kicks it out, ball swings. They've gotten a lot better at making their three threes lately, you know. So, you're definitely seeing growth. Um, and it's not just AD being a suit, it's the way he's getting these points, the high field goal percentage. He's not hitting tough shots, he's getting easy shots, and that kind of you yeah, know, I don't know about you. It makes me want to pull my hair out of the last couple seasons that we didn't get this mm-hmm. sooner. Yeah,
2: it's like, like I love who he is. I don't. It's not that I love this version. I want him to be, and he's trying to be it, and he can't be it. Like, no, be you. Do what you're good at now. And he's you know exerting his dominance over guys just cleaning up the boards he's just around the rim constantly on both ends of the court and it's unlocking such so a good version of him like similar to that pelicans version of him like you mentioned so he's been playing great i like how with a lot of his scoring chances there are playmaking reads to be made but they're happening from the passer perspective so either he catches and it's if you catch score And if he's not catching, it's because the defense, you know, brought an extra man to him and Russ or LeBron or Reeves or Walker or Beverly or whoever is reading that and finding the open, like catch and shoot corner three instead. So it's been really nice. It lets them involve LeBron as a shooter and a spacer in ways like I'm seeing him spot up in the corner so much more than I'm used to because he's the guy that if you're going to commit to tagging AD, You've got to leave LeBron James wide open. You don't have to leave Trey Brown Jr. wide open or Juan Toscano Anderson. LeBron James is a really good three-point shooter if he's not taking, you know, super high difficulty pull-up contested threes. Uh so they're they're working, you know, they're getting both of them working together and then letting like Russ or someone else be the playmaker. And it's been a lot of fun to watch. I've really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, while we're kind of on A D here, I it's just really interesting to me to see how like, they simplifying those things on both sides of the ball, with the Lakers starting to use this zone a lot more, Tim. And um especially against, you know, younger teams, some of the bad teams, you know, to be honest. They're kind of saying just like, Hey, you know, Sadiq Bey, I know you're a good three point shooter. Can you make, you know, eight threes, D'Anthony Melton? Well, he did, and it they lost. <laughs> but That's the kind of strategy you're starting to see to keep a decentralized. We talked a lot about it a little bit last uh, pod. But what are you seeing from that zone, Tim? Uh, And have you changed your kind of thoughts? It still looks okay. I don't know if it's a long-term solution though.
2: Yeah, it looks all right. There are – just speaking generally, zone isn't a sustainable approach at the NBA level. They're just – from an X's and O standpoint, if you know what you're doing against it, it's really easy to attack in smart ways. And we've seen the Lakers run it in certain games where they've caught a team off guard and they have the advantage defensively for a couple of possessions, and then oh, all right, we know they're in zone. We've drawn up some plays during the last timeout, and then teams are able to pick it apart. So the element of surprise is important for it. It's kind of like a tra- like trapping ball screens in that way. If you know traps coming every time. You're gonna beat it. But as long as trapping is, you know, really, you know, jumping on that offensive team, they don't know it's coming, it can be really effective. So that's an element of it. And it's, you know, I, I think they should continue mixing it in, but you can't go full zone. I don't ever want to go full zone. I I don't think it would work. Part of the reason they're using it is because what well, in the Philly game, AD was getting in foul trouble and they thought this was a way to potentially deter post-ups. You can still post up a zone, but Philly didn't, um, which was dumb uh but whatever <laughs> whatever if they're not going to that's great so t- we took advantage of that and then it- it's also easier knowing when you run zone there are only a couple ways to well there are more than a couple but teams generally only use a couple ways to attack it so it can simplify things from a practice standpoint uh once you you know get your rotations down you're like all right we know teams are gonna try to you know, throw someone in the middle. We know they're going to run a runner baseline and overload a side. We know they might ball screen. There are only a couple things you usually have to prepare for like 80% of the time. Uh, So that can be beneficial from a like, you know, time is money standpoint, practicing, especially for a team that's installing a lot of offensive sets. And the other factor is the Lakers have been playing some really small lineups. And when you play small lineups, this has been a way to ensure the rim protection is at the rim uh, which they've done well with drop in general, but this was a way to, like, I don't care if your big man's a three-point shooter, AD's going to defend the rim. If, you know, if you want Joel Embiid to go attack Patrick Beverly in the corner, who's 6'2", you have a bunch of size, but if you want to get to the rim with him, you still have to go through AD. So it it keeps the size where it needs to be, which is important when the four guys around him are like 6'3", or shorter. So that's that's a factor that it's better than man but it's still not great. Like that's not a good situation. Like, you you still want to avoid that in general. Uh, looking big picture at the zone, it's been below average, forty uh, fourth percentile efficiency. Defensively, uh, it's been less effective than the Lakers' man to man defense, which has been in the eightieth percentile. So it, it's been a little bit worse, not like dramatically worse, but it, and it hasn't been bad enough that like I'm never using it. It's something that the Lakers have pulled out. Like, against Milwaukee, I think this was the perfect way to use it. They pulled it out specifically to stop ATOs. You know, timeout, the Bucs drop, these great plays, and you can't use them because the Lakers aren't playing the right defense. That is the way to... It's a mix of, you know, element of surprise and then also take away the plays the Bucs think are most effective for them. That is, that is the kind of, you know, mix I want to see with the zone. I just... It, it's been good but you know be careful we don't want we don't want too much you can you need zone but in yeah. moderation
1: yeah that's kind of where I was coming from and kind of wanted to just bring it up because you, you hear it on the telecast though they're talking about how much the Lakers play in zone lately and it's um it's not a it's not a sustainable thing that you can rely on hey we're a really good zone defense thing that we can take into the playoffs and uh and you know ha- ha- hold your hang your hat on so to speak but um You know, really quickly, um, I wanted to transition to... You mentioned lately that the Lakers are playing a lot of small lineups. Um, Do you have any, like, lineup data about some of the... Because they're playing, like, three guards, like, a lot of the time. And it's used to varying degrees of success, as you can imagine, when some of the guards are Russell Westbrook and Patrick (laughs) Beverley.
2: Yeah, so I I was trying to nail down... Like who are the guards included here? I think like Walker and Reeves are probably big enough that they're guards, but like that's that's okay. They're like six, four, six, five with length. And I think really the the grouping that people are most upset about is whenever three of Russell Westbrook, Dennis Schroeder, Patrick Beverly, Kendrick Nunn are playing together. Nunn hasn't played a whole lot, so it's been primarily Russ, Schroeder, and Bev. Uh, those three have played only 18 minutes together this season, which seems a whole lot lower than I thought. I think they've just played it more recently. Um, Any combo, three of those four, other than that one grouping who played 18, has played 26. So total, they're at 44 minutes, which in what, a 26-game sample? What is it right now? Um, 26, yeah. Isn't – yeah, it's not the – it's not like a huge issue. It's that's like less than two minutes per game. But since it's been happening more recently, like in recent games, it's been more than two minutes per game. So it's a problem. It needs to improve. And what I did to try to learn a little bit more about it. And really what the issue was, was I went to a tool that Sarab, who is on our b Index team, he, he created this fun app. It's out, it's free. It's not paywalled or anything. Um, he has a player combos app where you can, Pick a team, pick some players, and you could see this is who this guy plays most with, who they play least with, or the combos for the team that play most and least together. And there's also an expected minutes versus – or there's a, a minutes versus expectation metric that looks at given how much the two players play just in general, how much of that time would we expect them to overlap if there was no purposeful you know, staggering of them or grouping them together? and then take that value against the actual minute-shared value, and you could see, oh, wow, okay, the Lakers are trying to put these players together, like Russell Westbrook and Austin Reeves, or, oh, they're trying to keep these guys apart, like LeBron James or Russell Westbrook. Looking at those values for all of those guards, any combination of those four is below the expected minutes per game together. The Lakers are purposefully, Darvin Ham is trying to stagger them as much as he can, the issue isn't that Ham is putting the wrong guys in the wrong lineups at the wrong point in the game. It's that the minutes are too high for those players. Like, to make, like, they're doing what they can already with how many minutes those guys are currently playing. There's no way to hide them or shuffle them around as much. They need to actually reduce the minutes for, we'll throw a none out because he's not playing that much for either Beverly, for Russell Westbrook, or for uh, who's the third person? Dennis Schroeder. So that, that to me, I think was, was interesting. And I'm curious of those three who you think should see their minutes reduced and who you'd want to see play over them. But that was a, I think that was a useful tool for me to see like, all right, it's not just a Darvin Ham doesn't know how to construct lineups thing. It's, it's, he needs to actually change who the minutes are going to.
1: I mean, I would like to not play three of the guards. Is that an answer I can select? you you have to so we, we, I you just want to bench one of them Well, I guess my point being is like the Lakers need some size on the wing a little bit of mm-hmm. you know switchability but to your point like I mean probably Patrick Beverly I I have to agree with the mobs uh you know and I know it's shocking <laughs> to you here um uh, that I might be sm- be smirching Patrick Beverly's good basketball name but uh, he's been bad. And uh, he takes some really bad shots early in the shot clock. Sometimes I feel like it's gets them off track. And um, I don't know. I just don't really see a lot of the positives. Uh, he's just running around. Uh, yeah, he's playing physical defense, guarding guys, and he's just out there running around. Tim. <laughs> he's getting his cardio in.
2: Yeah, can his you, box scores just some you, ugly stuff.
1: Can you? Yeah, can you provide me with any possible metric to uh, defend his play as of late?
2: well he's good defensively that's the thing like offensively i'm with you he's he doesn't really do much he's not he did great on bogdanovich he's not shooting well from two from three he's not creating at the rim he's not like his playmaking hasn't been great there's a lot he can't do offensively the one thing he's supposed to be able to do is catch and shoot threes and he's done that worse than he's really ever done it so I have some patience, some degree of patience, with him like getting back into form, and he shot a little bit better recently. But uh, like, if he you know is who he is offensively, but is knocking his threes down, I don't have all that much of a problem with him. Like, you need some three and D players. Defensively, he's been better than I think people give him credit for. When you look at like the individual data, it looks good. When you look at the team data, it looks good. Like opponents shoot worse when he's on the court, opponents get to the free throw line less when he's on the court, they turn the ball over more than when when he's on the court and they get fewer offensive rebounds when he's on the court. And no other Lakers can say that for all four of those areas. So that's like when when you're playing better in all four of the factors, it's going to lead to the team playing better. And we've seen that, that the team's defense has been more successful when he's on court versus off court. It's not a luck thing. It's not a three point percentage thing. It's not a free throw percentage thing. When you look at uh, the stable player impact metric that uh, Kevin Farraghan put together this year, it's similar to what PIPM used to be. Uh, Beverly Graysout is the third best defensive point guard in the NBA behind Javon Carter and Alex Caruso. So he's been really good defensively. Uh, in our on-ball defense, chaser defense, all-screen defense, he's done well. He's got super high matchup difficulty, much higher than anyone else on the team. He's in a tough job and he's doing well. I think he can be set up a little bit better. He should not have 30% of his defensive time spent on power forwards and centers. That's ridiculous. Part of that is lineups. So if you can take that chunk out, reduce his minutes a bit, I think he'll play with more energy. Maybe he'll hit some more shots. He'll better legs. He's getting older. So I think this could help. He shouldn't not play. He should just play less. So if you can get him from like 28 minutes per game to like low twenties, maybe 23, 22, 24, you'll, you know, Again, we're only seeing two minutes per game on the season of the three-guard lineups. If you take five minutes from Beverly, I think that probably eliminates you needing to see them. And, and it allows him to play better defensively and offensively. He's got more energy and he can focus more. He can you know be more of that dog in the limited minutes. Um, that's, that's what I'm looking for from him because offensively, he's been so bad so bad to the point that all of that great defensive stuff I just talked about, that's like, he's equally bad offensively. <laughs> um, like one of the worst offensive players. So overall his impact has been around neutral around average, but it just feels bad in the moment. And I've, I felt this way. Then going back on film, I'm like, okay, all right. He's making that play defensively. He's making that play defensively. Like I see it more afterwards, but I totally get why others aren't seeing it. Cause I'm not seeing it live as, as much. So he's, He's like the less I don't know. There's like no way to reconfigure his skills to be less fun. <laughs> um, this is on Nunn's fault. It,
1: it's Kendrick. Uh, Nunn's who fault. else? Hmm. I. Are and we, why is that? Are we out? Are you? Well, I guess I just want to ask you: Are you? Is he dead? I, I think he might be. <laughs> he's just dead. Inside. I don't know. He's not a good. He's I, not an I, NBA player anymore. Just like that. I don't know, it's got to be because I like, I think I agree, but it just like it's it's still shocking.
2: It is, it's shocking to me. He's just not been good. I, they've been pitching with him. They've given him minutes with real lineups, and it's he just hasn't hit his shots in those situations. And then anytime he's out there in like a bench lineup, he's just off doing his own thing. And it's resulted in, like, really low shot quality. He's not shooting well to start with, so it's resulted in really bad efficiency. Defensively, on a team with Truder and Russell Westbrook and Beverly, all these guys, he's, you know, he's guarding nobody. The matchup difficulty data is, like, garbage. And he's been effective, apparently, according to the data, but it's been in, like, garbage time where it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Uh, so, it's he's not going to play over Truder. He's not going to play over Russ he's not going to play over beverly and if he's not going to be individually better than those guys to take their minutes you're not going to fit him in cuz if you do you're just collectively having these really small lineups so it's it's not the environment where like if he gets you know 5% better he's you know suddenly clicks into place and he fits into the, the rotation like he needs to be much better and completely outplay one of these guys and i don't see that happening so it's unfortunate. I yeah. think he's going to be someone that the Lakers look to trade him and Bev, with like a first. But that's we'll that's to that. disappointing to me.
1: We'll we'll get to mm-hmm. that. I was going to say yeah. At this point, he's really just like five and a half million dollars or whatever uh, against the yep. salary cap is what it's he's sad, providing to this team. But mm-hmm. disappointing. We had high hopes for Kendrick Nunn. Um, not just this summer, but last summer as well.
2: Yeah. And so okay. So if we're going to reduce, so if Nunn, we're going to say Nunn's out. I'm going to say Bev. We're going to reduce his minutes. Who are you giving minutes to that's big? Austin Reeves. Uh, is, okay. Reeves is already at like 29 minutes per game. How are you bringing him? More. <laughs> okay. I, I have like – in my notes, I have like 32, 33. More. I, I, I have more? All, right. All I, of them. I, I want to see a gradual increase. I, I, think he, I think we can get him up to like 35. But – I also still want to see – I want to see taller players play as well. Like I want to see – That's fair. A little bit more Trey Brown Jr. Uh, JT is like constantly hurt. I, th- I think we're going to ignore him for now. Yeah. Gabriel and Bryant, the thing with them – and I think they've both individually like – I think they've played better than than I was anticipating. Gabriel's competing with LeBron and AD first minutes. So that that's a hard ceiling on how much you can play. Uh, when you're like checking in and out of the game for them. And then also the teams moved to five out more and you just can't play five out with Gabriel and 80 on the court together. If you're going to play four out one in, it's still like you can stick one of them on the inside, but it's still not good. It's not, still not ideal. So his minutes are going to be limited in that way. Just given the direction, the team scheme has gone. Um, Reeves, I do want to see play more. I think we can give him another couple minutes a game. He's been good. I want to see him play more with like LeBron. I'm going to see him play more with AD. He's had so many minutes with the bench lineups and with Russell Westbrook, but I want to see him play more with like the starting group and he's already closing. He's been closing for a bit. And so I have to imagine that Ham's considering starting him at some point here. Uh, Cause I think that's a natural next step here. If we trust you as a closer, maybe we'll trust you as a starter and that's a way to find some time. So you could take Bev starting minutes away and give them to Reeves or, Lonnie's been the guy. Reeves has been closing over, which is interesting. So maybe that's what happens. I don't know that's what I'm rooting for. But uh, I do want to see Reeves. I- I'd rather see Reeves play over either of those guys. So him starting in general, I think, is a good sign. But I- Christie is the other guy I want to bring up. Uh, he's shooting well from three. If you look at, you know, for his crappy of a per- percentage he had at Michigan State, it was like 34% or something. If you remove him being horrible on pull-up threes, he shot like 36% on catch-and-shoot threes, which is fine. In college, not with great facilitating, not in a great scheme. With an NBA three-point line between Summer League, the G League, and the NBA so far, he's shooting like 38% on catch-and-shoot threes. That's good. That's good enough. We could take that. Defensively, he's been good. He's active on the boards. He's graded out. Pretty well fourth best in our on-ball defensive uh, metric at B-Ball Index uh, among Lakers. That's higher than Trey Brown Jr. Um, He's been averaged uh, navigating ball screens, chaser defense. He's got real size. Like, a lot of his threes have come off motion, which is differentiating on this roster. So, like, he's, you know, three and D guy with some long-term upside. I want to see him get some more minutes. Brown is someone I think also needs more minutes. I He's just got to play a little bit more. I, I get and I am frustrated by him not knowing how to run the freaking uh, stagger or the the double ball screen into the staggered screen. It's like every time they call that play, he does not remember what it is. It's the same play every time. But, but it, it's not. It's so frustrating. It's not hard either. It's like really simple. Um, what I've tried to talk myself off the ledge with is when he doesn't know the play, It us- usually the result is like it takes the play like a second longer to run. It's not been a catastrophic thing. It's still annoying. As a good like coaching person, it's so bothersome to me. But I get that they have a, they run a ton of plays. They've run like 180 plays, something like that, this year. Unique plays. Uh, <laughs> this is like their fifth most run play. He should know how to run it. But um, that's frustrating. But And, and I think you have, to have, you have to have a mix of like accountability with team performance. And he's not a good enough player that you compromise your values with that. And accountability versus team performance is like not a new coaching issue. So I understand why his minutes have gone down recently. If he's not figuring this out and he's going on those pull-up sprees like you've talked about, which haven't gone all that poorly, I will note, but I still am never comfortable when it happens. But he's someone that I think he, he can be better. His defense has been good offensively. His three-point percentage hasn't been good. But if you look at this – is, this is Tim's fun fact of the day. If you look at his three-point shot making – which is his performance relative to his shot quality, it is exactly the same as Lonnie Walker's this year. The difference is Lonnie Walker plays 90% of his minutes with Anthony Davis and 80% of his minutes with LeBron and is getting the uh, fourth easiest, third easiest, fourth easiest threes in the entire NBA. If you plug Troy Brown Jr.'s shooting into Lonnie's shot quality, he's shooting Lonnie's percentage. That's, That's what... That's, to me, when, when people talk about how great Lonnie's been, I'm like, all right, well, give one of these guys that shot quality and they're going to shoot great too. Lonnie, if he were shooting average for his shot quality, he'd be shooting like 39.5%. They're, they're like spoon feeding him the easiest threes. So if you can give some of these other guys those minutes, you can get more size on the court and the percentage will improve.
1: I hear you. I'm not inherently anti Troy Brown. I just also think Lonnie just attack of closeout so much better, and Mm -hmm. you know he's been good um, when been asked to handle some more of the load on offense that I don't think Troy Brown is ready for um, per se. But I I get what you're saying in the grand scheme of the minutes. Um, It's telling, Tim, really quickly before we go to break that the number one topic on. You know, first take was not that Russell Westbrook got benched for the fourth quarter. So we're in that stage where we don't have to talk about it if he gets benched. He did not play a single minute in the fourth quarter against Detroit. Um, Alternatively, Austin Reeves played like the last 18 minutes, you know. Um, Lonnie played most of the fourth up until kind of the closing minutes and then came out. Um, But for Patrick Beverly, nonetheless... (laughs) (laughs) and uh you know it's it's still a bit of up in the air for me as to you know what this three-guard lineup can actually how far it can take you but I think that the lineups have gotten better and I'm starting to trust Ham a little bit more even though it does feel like you know it's not all the way there quite yet but Tim uh after the break we're gonna talk a little bit about the Lakers' kind of short-to-medium-term future in terms of what are the reports, who are they targeting, are they still interested in moving Russ and all that.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: All right, coming back in, Tim, I want to set the scene for you really quick, okay? And Then I'll give you a chance to kind of do your thing after that, but I'm going to set the stage for you. You're Rob Palenka. Okay, I know. It's not a nightmare. (laughs) Okay. You're handsome (laughs) and very successful in basketball, clearly. NBA champion, team building Rob Palenka. Okay. Bogdan Bogdan. Boyan, sorry, it was Boyan. Boyan Bogdanovich, potential trade target for your team, scores 38 points, 25 of them in the third quarter, almost single-handedly beats you with that Detroit's best player, Cade Cunningham. Now you, being the GM of the Los Angeles Lakers, have time to watch the game, and good thing that you do, because how else would you know which players you want to add to your team? If you personally aren't watching these games. So I guess my question is, how many unprotected firsts will the Lakers trade for Bogdanovich?
2: You know? <laughs> I, I think one would do it. <laughs> Reports I, I say one, no. <laughs> uh, none and Beverly get you to the salary you need. So those two with the first. firsts. Right. They, they, didn't they try to trade with like protections or something? So, or did they did they really turn down a one unprotected? What to, was the reporting
1: there? To make everything clear, because I was making a joke there and, and unpack it a little bit for us, Tim. There's multiple levels here. One that you're saying, you know, from sources that you the Lakers have no pro scouting department. Is that correct? Yeah, to yeah, let knowledge? me break that down.
2: So I this is something I heard a little while back talking to some people from other teams, and they were making fun of the Lakers as they do. Uh over over the years, this has taken many forms. The Lakers were way behind when it came to analytics. They were way behind when it came to like injury management and prevention. Uh, now the fun thing is, <laughs> these guys don't scout, uh, which is, it makes a lot of sense.
1: Don't scout uh, NBA. NBA players. Players. Yeah, let me clarify. So there are
2: four different kinds of yeah yeah. There are four different kinds of like scouting for an NBA team. Four different departments, basically. You've got the prospect scouting, which the Lakers have been very successful with. This is the one that they employ people to work on. They're looking through thousands of NBA or NCAA players, maybe not thousands, but there are thousands of NCAA players. Each year, there are going to be diamonds in the rough through the draft and undrafted free agents that can be franchise changing. This team is very familiar with that and they've been very good with that. This isn't a team that you know has the first pick and each year they're looking through 20 guys. They're looking for undrafted free agents, and to do so, you need to go look through a lot of players. So this is a big-time commitment. They've got a good team at this, and they're very good at this. There's also an international scouting component, and the Lakers have staffers for this. Uh, There are so far, at this point in time, 8,400 players have played a minute in an international game that Synergy has tracked. That's a lot of dudes. And if, you know, we hear about like the Lucas or other players who come in for the draft, but if you can find like a role player, that's like found money as well. So if you can find like a great just shooter or like a three and D wing or somebody that's, you know, killing it overseas, that can be great. I think baseball's ahead of the NBA in this regard. Um, I know my Mets just went out and got a great pitcher. Uh, from the Japanese league, I believe like there are dudes out there that might be able to come in and contribute and that could be a differentiating thing. We haven't really seen the Lakers lean into that all that much, but they have a, a team for that. Then you have pro personnel scouts, guys who are scouting current NBA players and G League players. We've seen teams poach G League players from the Lakers. We do not really seen the Lakers poach G League players from other teams because they're not scouting them actively. Uh When teams are looking to trade guys or build their big boards for the next year, their personnel scouts looking at the pro side really matter in keeping up to date on, you know, all right, we know we're going to need this kind of player next year. It's the last two months of the season. Like, here's how these guys are doing. Here's who's finished strong. Here's who's gotten worse. All those different things. If you're looking at trading, if you are only looking at trading for guys who, you know, you're seeing articles written about. And people are like bringing up to you, you might be ignoring other possible options to trade for and you might be leaving money on the table uh, in a way when it comes to negotiating or, or just initiating trade discussions. Um, now, you might say, well, why can't the other scouts just do this? Well, they can and they do. I'm not saying that the Lakers have never scouted a, a pro player, but when you're taking staffers from that department and having them pull double duty, you're not going to do as well as if you have two staffs
1: which is what other teams have um you know it's hard to you so to clarify sorry to interrupt i just want to clarify do you know a specific reason behind the motivation for this decision possibly and and i think that's where people get frustrated really is is this some money i problem? don't think
2: so because it wouldn't cost all that much money like they could they need to hire like five people four people at these are mba's jobs so they they don't hate great money anyway. Um, I don't know, 80 grand for five people in LA working crazy hours or you can hire some remote people from overseas to do it. Like, it's not. It doesn't have to be an insane expense. You're not paying a quarter million
1: dollars per person for this. Um, per person. What's the salary cap? Like 120 something million. Something crazy. Dollars? The Lakers saved like you can spend a fraction yeah. of it to fucking dis- right. Sorry, the, I'm so triggered. Well, talking, is, the liquor like, saved
2: like what was it? Like six hundred thousand dollars just by cutting Matt Ryan like a couple weeks early or something like that. Like the money's there. I think the money's there. Where. This group has an interesting relationship with the front office in a way the others may not is I this group I think has to work more closely with the front office and you know if the front office doesn't see the value in it or they're like we're watching the games we know ball like what are you talking about like I can see maybe how there might be conflict there they might not see the value um I don't think it's a money thing I know the Lakers are certainly pinching pennies in a lot of different ways but this seems like a if they if they believed that the value was there, they should 110% be able to get this done. It has to be that in the past they didn't give good advice. So they're like, ah, we don't need this um, or something right. along it's those lines. Normal incompetence. It's, I'd say misguided decision-making. Um, but like for you, for me, for Rob Polenka, I don't care who you are. If you think you can keep up to 600-ish players in the NBA, uh and then an additional like four hundred ish g league players over you know at every moment in the season without like having a scouting staff and also not using data not using good data you're full of crap
1: like you just can't do it so no it's way easier than that though because look look at here sort by highest points scored against basketball reference against my team the Lakers and then, you know, Venn diagram with clutch clients, and that's your pool. Yeah. That's the world that exists to you That as a professional basketball
2: manager. Yep, that's, that has seemed to be the world. So with that in mind, and then the fourth kind of scouting is is like advanced scouts or regional scouts. I know the Lakers used regional scouts a couple of years ago. I think – I don't know what they use currently. This is more – they don't generally publish these. These are gen, These are guys that oh. are – They're they're basically spies. Like if I were an advanced scout, the Lakers would be sending me to away games all the time. They'd send me to like a Mavs game, buy me like a courtside seat near the bench for the Mavs. And I would be sitting there waiting for Jason Kidd to call a play. And I'd say, all right, thumbs up is this play. And here's how often they run it. So basically what I do with logging all the Lakers plays, they would be doing for opposing teams, figure out the frequency, but they'd also figure out like the hand signals, which is not something that you can do well and figure out in the in the names of how you know what they call them. I can't do that from my laptop, which is how I do the rest of this stuff. They need to actually have people there. So this isn't something assistant coaches can do. This isn't something your other scouts can do. This is these are X's and O's people who you pay to send to games and just watch stuff and steal signs basically. Um, different kind of scouting altogether doesn't have much overlap with these other ones. Uh, the Lakers current head scout was an advanced scout for years for the team previously. Um, one of the other scouts, he follows me. I think he follows you. He follows basketball index on Twitter. Like (laughs) some of these people are on Twitter, which is interesting. Um, but so the Lakers most likely have advanced scouts. They have international scouts. They have college prospect scouts. It's that pro scouting department where they're lacking. And the impact, as you were alluding to, is rather than keeping tabs on everybody, what do we do when, when we're like looking to like hire somebody and you just have no idea where to start? Okay, who do I know? Oh, last year, we knew Cat Baysmore already. We knew Dwight Howard. We knew Avery Bradley. We knew Wayne Ellington. We knew Trevor Ariza. They see, they were doing all right. Let's bring it back. This year, we knew Damian Jones. We knew Thomas Bryant. We knew Dennis Schroeder. I'm probably forgetting other names here, but that they're bringing Lonnie, Lonnie, like, uh, so, so that was just like guys who have played for the team before. And then there's the connections piece. There's who has Rob been a client for? Who does he know? Like he knows, but, but he healed pretty well, doesn't he? Um, Lonnie Walker clutch. Like when the Lakers are like, Oh, we need a, we need a shooter. Who do we go get? Like, and they're looping in LeBron and AD as they will as key stakeholders for the team, they can be like, Oh, I know this guy, you know, go check this person out. And it's kind of like, you know, you're not guaranteeing them a job, but I know but a guy. <laughs> hey, Hey,
1: I but know a guy be at the docks. Know, at yeah, 10:30. 30. Okay.
2: We, we helped get him an interview. We didn't necessarily get him the job, but if you're getting enough people interviews, you're going to have some success there. So that is a piece of it. And then also it's almost like, it's like when you, I don't, do you, do you play FIFA at all? Um, Okay. So in FIFA, if you if you're trying to look at other teams' players like ratings and stuff, you you don't know them. You have to like assign a scout to go scout a guy for like two weeks, which requires foresight that sometimes I don't have. So in 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 lieu of that, it'll be like this guy's kind of known for this or this or this. You get like general reputation things, and you kind of have to like guess. Or if somebody's like well known, it's like oh yeah, no, everybody knows Pat Beverly. Um, It'll be like oh okay, this guy's a top player. He's a well known player you don't need to scout him to know his like stats. I feel like some of it's like, oh, we know Carmelo Anthony. We know Pat Beverly. Like we know what they're good at. We'll bring him in. Um so there's there's the connection piece, there's the former Lakers piece, there's the like reputation like FIFA piece. Uh and then there's also, as we talked about earlier, if you've played really well against us, oh, that stands out. That that stands out to me. And wouldn't you know it, Lonnie Walker last year, if you look at all the games he played against, all the teams he played against, his best three-point percentage came against the Lakers. His second-best assists per game came against the Lakers. His fifth-best points per game came against the Lakers. That was our MLE guy this year. Our MLE guy last year, Kendrick Dunn, when he was in Miami, best points per game against the Lakers. Fourth-best rebounds per game against the Lakers. Third-best three-point percentage against the Lakers. Pat Beverly just got we just got him this year. Last year, fifth best points per game against the Lakers, second best rebounds per game against the Lakers. He was on the higher end for his blocks and his steals and his assists. Um, these, this, it's a factor, dude. When Bojan Bogdanovich goes off and lights the world on fire, and Miles Turner and, and Buddy Heald don't have a great game, I think that has a real basketball implication on this team <laughs> that dictates how good we feel about ourselves, and that is so fucking scary. Because this is real. It's real, Tom.
1: I muted myself, but I was dying through all of that last little bit there, oh God. Tim. Zubots. Um, Did you see the Zubots interview? He, he talked about like Muscala going off against Lakers. It's
2: real. <laughs> it's a real thing. Oh, God. They're so predictable.
1: I laugh before you can cry. I grind, tweeted that out last night, it's and then today like-
2: two articles came out, like Shams <laughs> and uh, what's he? like uh Mark Stein, like you know, the Lakers are looking into this guy now. He, they, they, think he looks pretty good. This is exactly who they're looking for. <laughs> yeah. They had no idea earlier, but you no, know, they, they're they're bought in. Now. Like they knew about him. They knew he was available. They've had talks, but when he does it, and you can see it's for real, Tom. You can see he really has that dog in him, and he wants to be a Laker because he went out and did his job. You know, you know that's the guy you want to go pay the money for. And it's never gone wrong. Kendrick Nunn didn't flop. Like, like none of these things ever went poorly. Pat Beverly's a world beater. Um
1: <laughs> Oh my god. Palenka at the press conference back. I knew when he got his twenty-fifth point shooting directly over Pat Beverly, who I did absolutely nothing to stop him. We had to have him. Um and again, it's laugh before you cry, but this is actually, like, we're getting our jokes off. But it the the fucking report came out <laughs> less than 12 hours after the game, mm-hmm. Tim. Like, that morning, they were like, Rob Palenka was like, oh, okay. <laughs> and so, to be clear, because we never really laid it, I don't think that is clearly what the trade that was reported was, was that the Lakers offered a protected first. Kendrick Nunn and Patrick Beverly, and it sounds like Detroit uh, rejected that in favor, or they asked for an unprotected, and they're still willing, they say, to keep him. To you know, they just extended him, um, and so it looks like they're trying to leverage this because it looks like several other teams are probably interested. So on this deal specifically, I don't see a lot of fire. I don't see a lot of smoke that's real to me as far as if it's really going to get done. Because I don't think the Lakers have the best package. Yeah. Back and another piece
2: of it, too, is the Lakers can't put protections on their 2027 or 2029 picks. Is that is that correct? That's my working understanding of the situation. And in that situation...
1: They can put it on the twenty nine. I
2: thought you weren't allowed to. But not the twenty seven. Because it's, like, too far in advance. I could be wrong. I could be
1: wrong. I cuz I think I mean I feel like you could amend those.
2: Okay. Yeah, maybe I don't know. Cuz what what I had been thinking if that were the case which again, not sure. I think uh how this might have materialized was more than a two team trade. I know the Lakers were interested in Reddish before, maybe this was a like Reddish, maybe it was like we give the Knicks a protected first and I don't know, Ross maybe I I don't know, for Reddish and Fournier. And and a protected first, and then we reroute that protected first to Utah, and send none over there, and then grab Bowie on from them or something like that, where we acquire protected first from another team by giving them a full unprotected first, getting players from that team, and then rerouting the pick for additional people. That, that's something I could see eventually happening because I don't know that the Lakers are going to get anybody. For just one unprotected first, that they're like, "Oh yeah, this is really worth it. This is gonna be a game changer um so if they can try to like loop multiple teams in and get multiple players from that one pick that that's what I'd be trying to do if I'm not bought in on on using both picks,
1: but you're those are guys who are like you know decent players maybe on a rookie contract who teams might not want to extend again, it's not like bad players, you're getting guys on like the mid-level exception from two years ago who just doesn't fit our team anymore it's you know what i mean you're getting who's the best case scenario so so low floated out kuzma right on his podcast kuzma would be amazing with Mm -hmm. this group what why would why would washington trade a young player like that where they have his bird rights like it doesn't the lakers don't have enough and it you know what I'm saying? It's like you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. But you got to try something to give this this team a chance. I feel yeah, like even yeah. Though, well, it's a, they've been keeping more. the
2: right talking point of will we will like we are fully willing to invest in in this this title window, and we will trade our picks if we get a franchise altering talent, which you're not going to get. <laughs> so we won't make a move. Is, is, is what I'm hearing. Unless someone's really stupid, or you're really high on a guy that you shouldn't be too high on. Uh, so I don't know. The, the second someone is like, ah, "I want it out of here," and they're good enough that other teams are like, "Oh, this is a really good player," they will outbid the Lakers. So it's it's a weird it's a weird ch- tough situation. I don't know if you saw me laughing just a minute ago. I was thinking about like <laughs> why because I'm I'm fixated on this idea of like why would Rob Palenka be like we don't need the scouts? And I'm thinking just one one day <laughs> one. he walked into the office. And and one of the scouts had up one of those signs that you'd see at, like, an amusement park that's like, you got to be this tall to ride. And it was like, you got to be this tall to scout. And Rob Palenka threw the sign across the room, fired everyone on the spot, and then immediately picked up the phone and called Dennis Schroeder and Kendrick Nunn. <laughs> and... and <laughs> because he just he can't get enough he can't get enough of short guards that's his favorite kind of guy and he's really close tom he's gotten like three four of those guys who are like six three or under on the court at the same time and we're really close to getting like a we're like an ad injury away from going full palenka and him getting like the, the most versatile switchy lineup the world's ever seen because literally every player is as tall as me or shorter <laughs> We we'll give up 180 you know, points when, per hundred oh possessions.
1: Um, I'm joking around. You need to really do start start keeping track of the players, you know who who do well against the Lakers. Yeah, um, De'Anthony Melton. I'm looking at you. Mm-hmm. You know you're you're in the back of my mind now for a mid level exception in like seven years when you're <laughs> on your last contract. Um, because you know Rob Plinke got extended. Mm-hmm obviously, for all of his good work.
2: Yeah, it's fascinating. I didn't even look... Like, I didn't look at, like, every player the Lakers have acquired and then just pick the best ones. Like, the first three guys I pulled up were Walker (laughs) and (laughs) Pat Beverly. And all three of them just showed out against the Lakers. I don't know. It'd be interesting to go, like, just retroactively be like, (laughs) Like here's everyone we acquired. What percentage of these players did they either know already because they played for them previously? Did they have a connection via clutch? Do they Were they like LeBron's friend, like mellow or went off against Lakers? And I wouldn't be surprised if it was like 90%. Like,
1: how many licks does it take to get to the exceptionalism? <laughs> how many layers away are you?
2: Yeah. So so how do they fix this? Because
1: so this? this is
2: bad. It's hurtful. It's okay. harmful. It's, hurtful. it's bad. I don't care. Yes, don't you can care. have yes. Jesse Buss or whoever go and scout Buddy Heald. You can you can reactively scout, but you're not able to proactively scout. And as you're doing that, you're taking them away from their normal job, which is prospect scouting. So it's not a good solution. There's a reason nobody else does this. But how do we how do we fix this?
1: I think it's pretty simple. I think you hire scouts, or and again, this is to me this is a culmination of many bad decisions. But Tim, you know what do you do? When you have a leader not living up to their responsibilities, when they're putting them in a position to fail, well, what do you do? You pull the leader aside, show them the error of their ways. How do you do that? You know? Who does that?
2: It's, it's got to come from, from higher up. It's got to come from the Rambuses
1: or Jess, or uh, or genie. Oh, God. <laughs> You can't say it like that. That doesn't sound like it's going to work. <laughs> uh, the thing is, they'll
2: talk like Jeannie G- is surrounding herself with people who are there's there's an individual centered nature here. There's there's like scheming and wheeling and dealing like not everyone here is f- there for the the cause. It's there. There's an individual element and they're playing long term games and I don't I don't know that anyone up there is going to be like, you know what, we need to bring in this super competent external person who's going to be able to clean things up and take control because I don't know if they'd necessarily want that to cede power, nor maybe those people wouldn't come in and, and take those opportunities if they know they've got to, you know, they're not actually able to fully control their their decision making. So that's that's the challenge about like bringing in a big gun like front office person. But I, but I do think you can go out and you know, you can go hire a department head and you can go hire 3-4 scouts. And that shouldn't be a huge expense to the the business. You should see returns on investment. It would immediately help the trade pursuit. You you might be able to find avenues that like aren't being written about in Bleacher Report or Silver Screen or roll. Like we we shouldn't be relying on like fans to be like hey look at this guy uh that's not that's not the best approach so it's not a huge expense they just have to be bought into the the concept and for them to get to that point I, I think it takes some like looking around and seeing what other teams are doing which you know gets me back to my initial like how I found out about it is like other teams are aware this is really bizarre and making fun of the Lakers for it but not too loudly because they don't want the Lakers to be shamed and doing the right thing um so it's it's you know, it's interesting. Mid season's not the easiest time to go find new people or poach people. If they were doing this in the off season, it'd be much easier to go find folks to, to come join the team. But there have to be enough folks out there that this would be a promotion for that they could they could get on the team. So it's it's to me, it's a very fixable thing. It just takes the front
1: office's buy in. Well, I mean, it's it's gonna have to f- get fixed soon. Because just like that, the offseason's here again. And then you're making more decisions that affect more years down the line. Um, And I'm not even talking AD and LeBron's window. I'm talking, you know, picking the wrong guy to develop the wrong guy. You know, all these things are connected. And and the idea that this team has just had no foresight to me is they fly by the seat of their pants year in, year out, moment in, moment out. And when... You know, the Anthony Davis trade went down. I feel like they gave up a little bit too much. But at the end of the day, it's Anthony Davis at you know, 25 years old or whatever he was. It's, it's hard to give up too much for something mm-hmm. like that. And um, and when you're just kind of feeling yourself out without a, a big plan, to me, with the lack of foresight with something like a Reeves third year, um, same thing happened with Caruso, you know. Uh, to pick th there's there's we can we don't have to really get every decision but ultimately Tim for me, my you know optimism goes down because I look at someone and think you're not good at that and you either have an ego or you think you know you know more than you do and ego is the death of of potential because if you're not willing to accept, What you're not good at, and ask for help, you will never grow to continue to get better at those things. So it you, it's like I don't know, it's like frostbite or something. You either have to cut it off to save the rest of it, or it eats you alive. Like it slowly spreads to everywhere, and it's 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 really that important to me with just like the symbolism of this fact that the Lakers are unlike every other team in, in this one sense. It's not mm-hmm. a good thing. So, and it, it, it kind of is simple yeah. to me.
2: I feel it's not the same. They've done different things. They're not cheap to the same degree, but, like, I'm a Mets fan. The, the Wilpons ran the Mets for a long time, and they were notoriously, like, very cheap, meddling in front office affairs. They weren't investing in data. They weren't investing in the medical staff. They, like made really weird hiring decisions. There were people like scheming on the inside. And as a fan rooting for that team, you didn't go into every off season with hope. You you didn't go into every regular season with the same kind of hope that I now do now that a like super rich owner has bought the team and he's like, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna get the biggest analytics department. We're gonna invest in all these facilities. We are going to spend money to win. And we're gonna do what it takes to win. Like I have so much more hope that like just over time that process and that approach, maybe we won't win it next year or this year or last year, but we're taking steps forward with the Lakers. I don't, I don't quite I, I don't feel that energizement that I that I do. As a as a Mets fan, I feel like an old Mets fan, where it was like, man, what did what they do this time? Like just losing these margins here and there is such like a demoralizing thing as a fan because we're bought in, we're we're here for the long haul. But you gotta, you know, you gotta you gotta take it seriously and put the right people in the right positions. Uh, so I don't know, we got a little big picture there, but <laughs> the Lakers have three fourths yeah. of the scouting that they need. Four, they they need know. to add that fourth element. And it should help when it comes to trades and stuff like that. And we'll see less of this, you know, Lakers' Lakers Lakers tax of we couldn't get a deal done.
1: Yeah. Once you realize there are more than 46 NBA players in the league, (laughs) shit's over for you bitches. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. All right. With with that, Tim, uh, I keep the answer. Get your names ready for all our shout-outs there, but we'll keep the outro short today. I know we go long sometimes. Uh, shoot us a five-star review uh, in our DMs on social uh, of any podcast player of your choice. We'll get you into that Discord uh, where there's a lot of cool things going on, um, including some of the stuff Tim was talking about earlier. It was in the Discord before we put it on air, so you're always a little bit early to get to some of those things. Um, I don't know. What else y'all got going on, Tim?
2: Yeah, so uh, so. the spreadsheet that we talked about last pod where you you could take a look at the X's and O stuff, what plays are the team, is the team running, what lineups are they running, things like that. I've put that into the the spreadsheet and I've added more interactive components where you can say, all right, well, how does AD play when LeBron's out there on the court versus when LeBron's off the court? And You can see things like, oh, wow, Lonnie Walker, when he plays with LeBron, he's like – most of the time a spot-up guy and he's super efficient with it. And when LeBron's off the court, he's like three times more frequently isolating and he's been a less efficient player. Uh, or, you know, Russ and LeBron playing together. How does that, you know, that makes LeBron play more like a big man. But when Russ is sitting, LeBron pay, plays more like a a guard, more, more on ball, you know, uh, ISO and pick and roll actions, things like that. I've added that functionality in. You can get to that spreadsheet. You can get to the film room channel, get bonus pods, uh, at the lower bowl level that's five bucks a month uh we've got the x's and o's sessions the most recent x's and o's session we went over the five most effective players the lakers have run uh this season and they've continued to run them a bunch so that's one that maybe i'll open that up to the the lower bowl crew as well let them get a taste of of what they're missing because those have been great they've been a lot of fun and it once you get through those you'll you'll feel like a more knowledgeable fan and you'll be able to see things that maybe you hadn't noticed before because someone hadn't pointed it out it's like when you like you know I, I dra- travel and I get like a rental car for some car that I hadn't driven before now all the time I just see that car everywhere because I I've got it on my mind it's like that where it's like oh it's not hard stuff but once you get it explained to you once it's pointed out you're able to kind of see the world a little bit differently uh, but basketball so lots of good stuff in there want to shout out friend of the podcast. TJ Timotaji for generously supporting as an arena sponsor, as well as to Zach Harris, QDadio, iPod Shuffle, Romario, Chamber, Miguel, T. Shuttleworth, Omar, Roy, Abdul Rahman, Kenil Mason, and Eric for living the high life with us in the owner's box, as well as to our courtside and lower bowl crews. We got lots of good stuff in there. There was a, uh, <laughs> there was an incident today. Um, someone got banned from the server. I think only the second time that's happened. Um, so there was a little bit of drama, but, a, a fun, uh, <laughs> community event. I don't know. Um <laughs> so if you want to get in there, like Tom said, DM us a five-star review of the podcast to him, to me, to the podcast account, which I don't run. Uh I feel like I keep having to say that because I think I'd look stupid if I just keep like tweeting at myself. Um or you, you go to the <laughs> link in my bio, it's tinyurl.com/slash support Lakers X pod or support x pod. Your choice is up to you. And uh from there you can you can join directly to the server without needing to DM one of us fine gentlemen. So get in there. I'll uh, Tom, I'm gonna send you the link to the tool that I used when we were referencing the minutes earlier, and we'll stick that in the, yeah. the description for the pod. So if you want to go in there and see, you know, oh wow, 90% of this guy's minutes are played with this player, or Ham's are really doing everything he can to keep these guys away from each other, like those sorts of insights you can get that with that free app. So Check that out. That's all I have, Tom. Go, go get the ball index. We just dropped our on ball defense, all uh, screen navigation, off ball chaser defense, new and new stuff all the time, improving the apps. So we've got a lot of fun stuff on the way with, with that, on that side of things
1: as well. All right. With that, we will catch you all next time. Talk to you later.